What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Welcome back to the Sasquatch Outpost podcast, and this is episode 32. Time is moving on. 32 times we've been together, so very much remember the first time and uh, when our good friend Scott Carpenter was supposed to be on and couldn't be on because his puppy passed away, and um, then we lost Scott. That was quite a quite an ordeal. But it's a lot of water under the bridge in the last 31 episodes. So I'm excited, and uh, I'm excited because of the guests we've got tonight and what we've got going on. Um, quick reminder for the Native Truth 2 conference, um, which is coming up quickly on the 14th of this month. There's still plenty of tickets. I think last I looked, I think we've sold 30 to 40 out of 100 so there's still plenty of room and uh i encourage you to come this is going to be a great chance to meet two awesome guys um stan and john both native americans who have great insights into sasquatch and all things paranormal so uh if you're not signed up i encourage you to do that now um Oh, one more thing. As I said, for Halloween night, we're going to try to do a broadcast from the museum. Um, and it's for the scary Sasquatch stories, the, the creepiest stories I've ever heard. And uh, hopefully that's going to work out. And so I will keep you updated about that for Halloween night. Unless you're out trick-or-treating with your kids. Um, but, uh, let's see. So 
I have a friend, some friends who were supposed to go to Montanacom, and they have two tickets. It's only for the Saturday event when all the speakers are speaking. Um, I mean the Sunday event. Saturday is is a special event at the Montana um, Vortex, but Sunday when all the speakers are speaking, they have two tickets they cannot use. They would love to give them away. So either if you would like to buy a flight to Montana in the next day or so, or if you are listening from Montana and you would like to attend that, I can get you two tickets for the Sunday event, which is you know the one when everyone's going to be speaking, except for me. I'm speaking Saturday night. Let us know. If more than one of you respond, um, I will figure out a way to determine who gets to to do that. But uh, I'm grateful that they wanted to offer these two tickets. And so hopefully somebody can take them up on it and they don't go to waste. They should be sold out. Last I heard, they were pretty close to being sold out. And I think they had 400 seats for that event and they were almost sold out. So should be by now. So... I don't know how many of you own a cat. Uh, my wife owns a cat. I don't own a cat. His name is Muffin. I have a different name for him, which I won't tell you now because I will offend somebody. There's always people who are cat lovers. Now, I'm a cat tolerator. I'm not a cat lover. Um, but Muffin and I definitely have a love-hate relationship. And, you know, one thing about cats Dogs at least make a pretense about learning something. Cats don't even make that pretense. And Muffin will jump up on the table, and I can throw him off the table, and he'll jump back up, and I'll throw him off. And we can do that 50 times. He's never going to learn not to jump on the table. So I'm convinced for many reasons that cats are brain damaged, and all of them are. So anyway, we put up with each other. And he has this habit. Um, we don't own cats. Cats own us. Well, he doesn't own me. He owns my wife. But he he has this bad habit. He loves to cat. He's a great hunter. And he, he will bring in mice, chipmunks. He's even killed rabbits and brought them in dead. But he'll bring all birds. He'll bring them in alive. He loves to do this. He comes through the dog door, goes straight to our bedroom and lets them go. And then, then I come home and I got this bird flying around and I've got to catch him or I've got a chipmunk and he's running all over the room, in the closet, under the bed, and the cat can't catch him or usually the cat doesn't care. So I bring the cat in. Here's a brain damage for you again. And I'll throw him at the rodent. And he, he just sits there and he looks at it like, what am I supposed to do with that? I'm like, catch it. You brought it in here. Do something with it. He never will. So we always have to remove him. So this afternoon, I'm I'm working on a few things, and I look out the window, and I see him hunting in the grass, and he's got a mouse, and he's chasing the mouse, and the mouse is getting away. And so I'm like, I'm cheering the mouse on because I don't want this mouse in the house. So I I think, okay, if he catches that mouse, so I went and closed the door and the bathroom to our bedroom so that he couldn't bring him in there because the other thing he loves to do is bring him in and de behead them 
and then leave them there so that they bleed all over the carpet. So you can see why I love this cat so much. Uh, so he never succeeded in catching it because I never saw him come in. But he has this weird meow. When he catches something, he has this different meow. And he'll be carrying it in and he kind of goes, and he has this quivering meow. And as soon as I hear that, I know what it means. And I have to run, shut our bedroom door if he's not already in there. Usually he is. So adventures with cats. And yes, I'm not a cat lover, um, especially if I if I had lived in a barn and wanted cats to get rid of all the mice, they would be awesome. But um, <laughs> cats moved out with the kids. I love that, Doug. Our kids are gone. And the cat's still here. I'm not sure what that means about me. But um, but a few nights ago, different subject. I, I have a lot of trouble sleeping at night. And uh, I probably need to get a CPAP machine. But anyway, um, I woke up like I do many nights. And it was about 4 in the morning. And I thought, you know, I can't sleep. I think I'm going to get in the truck and I'm going to drive down to this trailhead um, the Deer Creek Trailhead and sit there and, and uh, see what happens. So I wrote Daphne a note in case she woke up and I got in the truck and drove. It's about 20 minute, 15 minute drive from here. Of course, there was nobody in the parking lot. Had there been anyone in the parking lot that night, I might have been actually concerned, but there was nobody in the parking lot. So I pulled in and sat there in the dark and I thought a long time about, Wayne's going to laugh at this, I thought a long time about getting out of the truck and hiking up to our gifting area in the middle of the night. And I was too chicken. I couldn't do it. Uh, it was, it was enough for me to sit there in the in the truck with everything off listening. Um, <laughs> but, uh, one of these nights I'm going to make it out. I'm going to get out of that truck and I'm going to walk back in the woods and I'm going to face my fear. Um, because, I've told you guys, I'm, I'm convinced that Sasquatch doesn't want to hurt us. Um, I've got really no reason to be worried, but I don't know. It's one thing taking a bunch of people out for a night hike. It's another thing going out there by yourself when nobody knows where you are. And if something happens, you are on your own. So we'll see. We'll see if I manage to do that. If I do, I'll let you guys know. Um, I'm just going to turn this volume down a little bit. So... Um, I've got some, some great guests tonight, and we're going to talk about Sasquatch investigations and how we do that so that we can determine if someone actually saw a Sasquatch or didn't. And there's a lot of people who think they did and did not. And so we're going to do a brief pause while we play our little uh, disclaimer, and then we'll bring our guests on. So I've got with me Mike and Leah Marshall and Mark Taylor. Mike and Leah are actually upstairs in my house on my phone because where they live is way outside Bailey and the self cell service is horrendous out there. And Mark is in Grand Junction. So um, I've known all three of these folks for quite a long time. And um, 
uh, I, I have stories particularly about Mark because Mark and I have been camping together. We've been squatching together. Um, and we'll talk about probably one thing that happened because it happened to them again recently when they were out on the Apache reservation. But, but our, our, what I wanted to, to talk about with you guys tonight is I know Mike and Leah, you guys had an encounter up on what's it called? Stormy mountain. Storm. Storm Mountain. Storm Mountain. Storm Mountain. It's out of Drake. It's about 15, 20 miles from Estes Park. Okay. And you guys had gone up there on some property that some friends of yours own, right? Yep. Yeah, we kind of kept an eye on their cabin while okay. we lived in Florida. So they said to act like it was our cabin. So So you did. Yeah, so we did. And she kept saying, uh, and she was hearing screaming all the time. And okay. And she wanted me to know if it was a Bigfoot or not. So, so you guys went up there, and and tell us what happened, because before Mark, we bring Mark on to talk, or, or bring Mark in to talk about his part, we have to hear your part. So what happened that afternoon that you were up there? Well... It was, uh, I think it was in August, uh, not too sure of the year. It was either 2019, uh, around there. I think and, it was, from what Mark told me. And uh, we were just going to check on their cabin and uh, take a good walk. And um, behind their house is... No property. Nobody owns the property back Next there. to the, the forest. Next to the forest. Nobody goes. Okay. There. So I thought, well, we'll go. We'll go walking and see what we can see. And about halfway down the trail, I kept hearing this little noise, and I could have sworn that there was a child. It sounded like a little kid lost in the woods. And I thought, oh my gosh, somebody's lost their kid. So I kept saying, you'll be okay, little guy. Uh, just, you know, come to me and I'll follow you. And we'll get you back to your mom and dad. And uh, Mike was behind me and we were walking. And, and pretty soon uh, I could hear this little child, what I thought was a child going up this draw. And I thought, oh, this little kid is really lost. You'll be okay, little guy. Just come to me. And uh, he just, this little Bigfoot kept walking. And I kept following him. And Mike could only keep up with me, his feet bothering. And uh, I had a walkie-talkie in my phone, and Mike had a walkie-talkie. So I thought, well, I, I better go keep an eye on this kid you know, so he doesn't go back in the woods any further. I sat down on the stump while she went on. <laughs> okay, so you just waited for her to go up there and check. Yeah, yeah. so I, I just kept walking and walking, and uh, pretty soon I came <laughs> to this big crop of rocks. It was a really big crop of rocks, and that's kind of where the baby Bigfoot went. And uh, so uh, I thought, oh, this 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 isn't good. And uh, I could hear snapping, like tree snapping. And I just had this real uneasy feeling. And I thought, oh my gosh, that kid is lost now. And 
so I thought, well, maybe there's a cave. So I lifted my camera up and took a picture. And uh, I didn't think, after I took the picture, I kept hearing snapping and twigs breaking and like something was walking behind the rock. And uh, I thought, well, that sounds a little loud for a child. And uh, pretty soon some more limbs kept breaking. And about that time, my phone went completely dead. It just, I had like, <laughs> like 15, 20% on my phone and my phone just went dead. And I thought, this is not good. My phone's acting up and I feel disoriented. Uh, man, this, this is not good. I, I guess I'm going to give up on the little kid. And uh, I just kept hearing like something walking behind the trees and stuff. And I thought I better get back to mine because I really don't hmm. know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm kind of in a daze and- uh, Luckily we took our walkie talkies and she, she calls me on the walkie talkie. She says, I don't know which direction to go. I'm, I'm lost. Can you click some rocks? So I got two big rocks, started beating them together. And she said, I can hear it. So she started that direction. She finally made it back to where I was sitting down. She got lost. She got disoriented from it. I was really disoriented. Well, it's interesting to me that that happened to you because you had just walked up a draw, right? Straight yeah, up. And up a draw. And, uh, so the fact that you got really confused makes me wonder. And we talked about this yesterday, whether you got zapped or something. I think I got zapped. I think infrasound got me, because, and it also it, it, uh, disabled my phone. It disabled yeah. my Luckily, it didn't, the walkie-talkies. Yeah, that's, yeah. Or you might have been in big trouble. <laughs> you uh, you might have had to find a way to shuffle your way up there anyway, if that had happened. Yeah. So uh, so you got back, and, and what happened after that? Because... Um, well, we got back to the cabin. I was still disoriented. I was starting to get a headache and I kind of felt nauseous and I was shaking all over. I, I was nervous wreck and I plugged my phone in to get it charged back up. And uh, the minute I turned my phone back on and looked at my picture, here's this big, hairy, two big, hairy Bigfoot standing behind the rock. I, downlo I downloaded it onto my computer and I blew it up and I said, Leah, look, there's another one standing right behind this one. You could see its head here and the other one's standing right behind it. Hmm. it, it and it was clear as it could be. It, uh, it was quite the experience. And, uh, but it took me at least a day to be, get myself back to <laughs> normal. I just, yeah. that zapping really got me. The infrasound got me, and I think all, all three of them got me. I, I don't know if the babies can do it, but I know the two other adults. They, they did something to me. Well, I wonder if maybe even the baby sound was made by the adults. Um, it sounded like little kids. You couldn't make out what they were saying if they were saying anything, but it's like somewhere they were on the side. Where we couldn't see them, but the more we walked, we could still keep hearing them. And she kept talking to them, and we finally got yeah, to I a point where I couldn't walk anymore. So I'm sitting on the stuff. Oh. I kept talking um, to them, and I when I got to the rock, I kept 
I kept saying, oh, little, little, little guy, you, you're going to be okay. You just let, need to let me see you. And then he did. Big, big <laughs> footprints, boom, 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 walking. And then when I got zapped, I, I just, I had to get down. Uh, on it was quite the experience. This one we so, Martin Taylor. Okay. So, so did you submit a report to the BFRO? Uh, well, yeah. Uh, Dennis Pohl, uh, he saw the picture. Uh, I sent the picture and he says, you've got to fill out a report. Okay. He, he said, that's the best picture. And so did uh, Matt Moneymaker. He said that was the best Bigfoot picture he's ever seen. And uh, so I filled out a report the best I could. Uh, luckily, my memory wasn't completely wiped out. But yeah. And that's still up, I'm sure, isn't it, uh, Mark, up on the BFRO? That report, you could probably find it. Uh, that is that is correct. I've uh, I've actually got it pulled up uh, on my uh, on my iPad right now, and it is report number six two nine two nine. Okay. Six nine two nine. Six two nine two nine. Okay. So, did did you contact them because of the report, or did they reach out to you individually? Uh, Dennis told me to. Dennis did. Okay. Did you know Mark already at that point? Oh, yeah. I've known yeah. Mark okay. for a long time. Okay. Mark, Mark, I've known him for, oh, probably 15, 20 years. No, okay. 10 or 12 years. Yeah. So, so Mark, I, um, I, I'd love to hear what you did because how you guys proceeded with this investigation was fascinating to me. And we'll have to put the... Um, that slideshow up there, Steph, and Mark can walk us through it. So this is the first slide that I created for the, and the pictures follow, but how to do a Sasquatch investigation based on a photograph and a story, because they had both had a story about what happened to them, and they had a photograph. So can I make a comment here? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Mark and them used the same phone that Leah took the picture with. Every picture you see is done by the same one. So somebody couldn't say it was a different one or a different one, but it was all taken with the same okay. phone. Yeah, it was the same phone I took the picture with. Now, I don't know that you guys can see my cursor. I tried to turn on something. Can you see my cursor moving I around? Cannot. Okay. So... Um, I, the next slide is a blow-up of where this Sasquatch is. So if you look at the top of this little green tree, I, I wish I could point it out. So you can see his face and his right shoulder and arm standing behind the tree. Uh, you can see his eyebrows are a little bit lighter colored. You can see his nose. And uh, so you can see his face and his right arm. And he's standing back from this tree a, a little ways. I mean, he's not right next to it. but And I'm not sure where the other one was that you all saw, Mike. If you if you could blow that picture up, you could see his face right behind him. It's, it's just standing like, right behind It's just like one head right behind the other one. But you almost have to blow it up to really see the other okay, one. Okay, yeah. 
I don't. Bigfoot's down below the tree. Yeah. Oh. Hmm. We've lost the original photos, but yeah. the photo showed another one off to the bottom left sticking his head out. And off to the right of that one down below looked like a little baby one sticking his head out of the bushes. But we'd yeah, I'm sure if we had the original, that the probably the resolution would be better. Yeah. Um, can you do anything that. with that, Steph? Or probably not. Okay. She's trying. She's working on it. See if we can get a blow up. But um, that certainly the main one there in the middle, right behind the tree, yeah. you can see. The big guy. <laughs> So, um, so Mark, you guys, you went back there with them and you had someone else with you. Who was that? Um, yeah, Jim. Uh, so anyway, um, uh, Leah had sent the photos to, uh, to, to Dennis and I, uh, to look okay. at. we looked, we looked at the photos and we played, uh, played with them, blew them up and, uh, said, okay. This is something that we we definitely need to uh, investigate. From that point, uh, from that point forward, what we did is we asked Leah to fill out a, a BFRO um, okay. report, which she did, and that triggers the investigation. From there, what we did is I contacted one of our fellow investigators, Jack Whelan. Now, Jack. Uh, uh, Pun intended, Jack is out of the box now. But um, <laughs> at the time, Jack was still a an employee of the Colorado Department of Parks and Wildlife as an area manager. And so I specifically invited Jack uh, to come on this investigation because okay. I knew that we were going to be doing more of kind of a forensic style investigation to try and recreate the photo and uh, Jack Jack has experience doing that in some of his uh, some of his uh, uh, like poaching type of investigations that he has done. Okay. So what, what we did from there, Jim, is is Jack and I uh, arranged to go to the cabin with Mike and Leah. Um, it was, uh, I believe, uh, a couple of weeks after the photograph was taken. Um, Jack and I showed up there on a Friday and Saturday, uh, we started the investigation. One of the things that, uh, that I did, Jim, is before, uh, before we left, um, to go to their location, what I did, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to show this is I took the photos that Leah had sent us and, okay. uh, um, this this one here is original scale. This one here is blowing up. And I wanted to have these with me. And what we did is Leah took us back to the location uh, where she was when she took the photograph. Jack and I, using um, this photo as a guide and taking Leah's cell phone, not ours, the one that she had the photo with, it took us probably in the vicinity of about uh, 30 minutes, maybe, maybe 45 minutes to find the exact spot that she was standing when she took that photo. Okay. We did, Jim, if we simply, um, 
I uh, Jack stood back where uh, where the uh, where the creature was in the photo, and um, I stood and I kept moving left, right, forward, back until I got the trees, the tree limbs, and what to look the same as what the photo did. Um, Jim, at and that the, time, the sunlight was different. I think when you went back, it was more overcast, maybe. Um, it, it, it was a it was a little more overcast, but it, it was not overcast all day. We had, we did have breaks in, uh, in sunshine coming out. Um, so what we, uh, what we did after probably 34 to 30 to 45 minutes is we found the location where Leah was standing using my laser range finder. We zeroed it in and she was 23 yards from the okay. black, um, you know, uh, the black creature um, that uh, that was in the woods. Okay. So we got a picture here. This is one of you standing behind the rock. It's hard to see this, but holding up a stick. Um, was that you or Jack? That That is Jack. Um, that is back there that is holding up the stick. And what we did is here is what we're trying to do. It's we're trying to do a couple of things. One, uh, try and recreate the size of the black object that we see in the photograph. The other thing we're trying to do is, is establish its height and where it was standing. So once we had me in the location of where Leah was standing when she took the photograph, I had Jack um, move forward, backwards, left, right, and, and until I finally hollered ahead and, and, and said, that's the spot. The problem was um, that I could barely see him yeah. uh, from that location. Most of his body was behind that rock outcropping. So what we, what we did next is we simply found a, uh, found a stick. Jack took off his ball cap, set it on top of the stick, and he kept raising that up until I said stop. And what I did there is just like holding this photograph. Um, when he got his hat up to between seven foot six and seven foot ten inches, I that's where um, everything came into uh, came into alignment and. From there, we uh, we just took an old-fashioned tape measure, and uh, we took and measured it out, and came up with a height of about seven foot six to seven foot ten inches. So here, you're standing. You had to stand up on part of the rock to get high enough. Yes, and and this is an interesting photo. So Jack and I changed places um, just to make sure that uh, we had two people duplicating. So he went back and stood where I was originally standing, where the photograph was taken. And I went back on the, on the rock outcropping. And uh, I did the same thing for Jack, um, put my hat on a stick, raised it up. And uh, he confirmed that uh, we remeasured the height. And both times that we did this, we came up with a height of seven foot six to, uh, to seven foot 10. Now, what's interesting is 
if you can see where my feet are, I am standing yeah. on a little bit of a, uh, you know, a part of the rock outcropping that I had to really kind of balance on to, to, to stand there. Um, if I took a couple of steps back, um, that rock outcropping uh, probably came up to my shoulders. And from where Jack was standing, all you would see is the top of my head. And so we kind of uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that the object standing there had to have been standing on that uh, 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 on top of that rock. Um, what's also uh, one of the things that Jack and I discussed is that um, if there was an object standing there, and if it was a Sasquatch, and I do believe that it was that all he had to do to disappear was take a step back, get down on all fours, and he could have disappeared without anybody seeing him because he would have been behind the rock outcropping. So your your conclusion about where he was standing was based on if he had been standing down below the rock, he would have had to be 11 feet tall or something. Excuse me, correct. Okay. If, if he was standing down in that crevice, um, the object would have had to have been somewhere in the in the twelve foot tall range. Okay, and, uh, which is which is hard to believe already that it was Sasquatch, let alone that it was twelve feet tall. Right. So, so yeah, if you studied the bell curve of, of Sasquatch heights from 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 various quality sightings, you'll find that that bell curve comes in. Um, kind of around that seven foot uh, tall area and on the shorter side around the six foot and on the taller side around the eight foot. So, you know, 12 foot would have been. Uh, yeah, quite a way. Uh, yeah. Um, is that the was that the last slide on that section? OK, so. Um, do you want to just put that report up there, Steph, just so people can see? If you go to the BFRO, this is what a report looks like. And this is Leah's report. And it gives the date and, and everything, um, what happened, you know, all the details. So it's very thorough. I'll give, I'll give the BFRO this, that they, um, the reports they have are, very thorough in terms of details. So, um, if you're interested in knowing more about it, you can you can go back um, and look at that. So, um, Mike and Leah, um, when they were doing this, what were your guys' thoughts? Um, this is the cabin that they were at yeah. down below. Um, Mark is pretty thorough. I think they did a real good investigating. Um, because uh, after you have something like this happen to you, uh, it kind of takes you a while to calm down. And he reinforced that I wasn't crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that uh, I took him to the spot where I thought I saw the baby Bigfoot going up. And uh, it made me feel a little more confident that... Uh, when you're out in the woods, you just, you never know what's going to come upon you. And uh, when I was zapped and everything with the infrasound, 
I, I don't know too much about it, but uh, mm -hmm. I can see how people can get disoriented in the woods and get lost. These things very easily could have drugged me off, but they, yeah. did, they didn't. All they did was snap twigs and uh, kind of thump around and, and make noise. And then when I think they did the infrasound, I think that was a definite warning for me to get out of there. So, Mark, the question was asked, why was it a Class B sighting? Yeah, um, that Matt Money Matt Moneymaker um, classified the report as a Class B. And it's simply because at the time, Leah and Mike did not see what was in the okay. photograph until they came home and they looked at the photograph later and then expanded it. So they did not physically see this um, with their eyes. Okay. And, uh, Matt Moneymaker, the founder of the BFRO, said, let's classify this as a B um, because uh, of, of how it transpired. Okay. So one of the things that impressed me about this investigation and the reason I brought you guys on tonight is you guys were very thorough you used the same camera so that the pictures, as you said, Mike, <clears throat> no one could say, well, that's a different camera. That's a different, you know, type of photography, whatever. Same, same phone took all the pictures. So, and, and it was clear that what was behind that tree that day, the, when you guys were up there, it was not there when you guys went back, Mark, there was nothing behind the tree. It was that, clearly, that yeah, Jim, that is correct. And one of the things that we did too is, is I don't have it here in front of me, but uh, we had noted the uh, the timestamp uh, okay. on Leah's phone for the time of the uh, of the photo. And what we did is we made sure that we were there at that same time of day. Now the sun, of course, has moved a little bit farther in the sky. Um, because we were a couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks after the photograph was taken, but um, of course, what we wanted to look at is could this be a case of pareidolia, and yeah. that is where you see something um, that um, is not really there, but uh, but you think it is there because of shapes and shadows. So what we did is uh, um, Jack and I spent some time um, walking around there at that same time, standing in those different positions, looking at the tree limbs overhead of where um, Leah was standing when she took the photo. And where Leah was standing when she took the photo is clear of any foliage. Okay. Uh, it is open directly above her. Where the, uh, where the image is in the photograph, is absolutely it's it's got uh, it's got tree limbs um over the top of it and we studied it for quite a, for quite a while looking for um you know could this be a case of shadows in the trees yeah that just that just hit it perfectly um we you know again now the sun has moved i don't know exactly how cloudy it was um the day that leah was there and took took the photograph so i don't know if it was absolute direct sunshine shining over the area or not but um bottom line is is by the time we got done with the investigation 
Um, we felt pretty confidently. We knew the exact spot that she was standing. We could see the image in the trees. Um, the image fits what we were looking for and what we think that it is. And it was not there the day that we were there doing our investigation. Okay. So you concluded that in this case, it was likely a Sasquatch. We, yeah, Jack, Jack and I left and, um, we, uh, um, we discussed it thoroughly and we feel, uh, pretty confidently that what you see in the photo is, uh, is a Sasquatch. Now we can't say that definitively, sure, of course, sure. but, um, in our opinion, um, knowing how this happened, um, how the photograph came about, looking at all of the, uh, all of the facets and, and doing the, uh, the investigation that we did, we came away, both of us saying, we believe this to be a, uh, a good, uh, a good photograph. Well, and it was a very thorough investigation. So you could at least say for sure, whatever was behind that tree that day was not there when you went back. So that yeah. at least had changed. Yeah. Now, now one thing that's kind of, uh, uh, that's kind of fun to talk about as well. And, um, Leah can talk more about it, but what she did after she, uh, after she found this object in her photograph, um, Leah went back and gifted, um, and Leah, I believe you tied a feather, um, yeah. to a tree limb right where, um, this would have been standing huh. and went, went back Leah, maybe, maybe a week later after you tied this, tied this feather on there and the feather and the string that was used to tie it to the branch was gone. Um, so that interesting. was interesting. Uh, yeah. I think that's an interesting, fun thing. Um, and Leah, you, you might, might be able to add some more to that. So Leah, did you tie it to that little green tree? Um, yeah, I, I tied a feather. Okay. Tree. And something else when uh, Mark and I, when they went to do the investigating is there was a mirror. It, it was a broken mirror laying there that hadn't been there before. Hmm. Interesting. And, uh, we couldn't figure out how that mirror got back there. <laughs> you mean when you went back to check the feather, there was a mirror there? Down on the ground. On Down the on the ground. Okay, mirror. interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, who knows about that? That's kind of bizarre. Um, we're, we're way back in a place that we would be back up in there with the mirror where we were at. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And and exa exactly where this happened. And so... Yeah off the beaten trail it wasn't on the yeah. trail because we got off the trail to where it was at it because we had to kind of hunt to find a place back again when mark came up sure well that's even more that's even more evidence that it would have been highly unlikely for someone else to have found the exact spot and they wouldn't have known that you were there you, you hadn't publicized this really except for that report with bfro and I, I don't know how many people had read it by then so, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just, so Mark, in, in what percentage of your investigations do you think it turns out to be 
pareidolia or mistaken identity or something that versus concluding that the people actually saw Sasquatch. You know, Jim, the way I'm going to answer that is um, as a BFRO investigator, we all have um, um, access to what we call um, the flats. And what happens is when any um, report is made to the BFRO, it goes into a collection bank. And then from that collection bank, we as investigators go in and we choose... um, reports that are in basically in our area okay um investigate but what i'm gonna what i'm gonna say jim is as a whole on the bfro we have thousands and thousands of reports in the bfro database um probably about 10 percent of those get published such Hmm. as the one that we published here with mike and leah and the reasons may vary why why that happens. Sure. If we do not publish any reports that we can't be in physical contact with the with the people that reported them. So and physical contact may mean either email communications or phone calls or in person. Um, so there's some reports that come in that just don't uh, uh, you never can them. reach them. Yeah. Never can reach them. And if we can't reach them, we're not gonna put um our name into it and, and right. publish that. So the rest of those uh, uh 10% uh well I'm gonna say more than 10% of those reports we get in contact with the folks and we may do um a phone in, in uh interview with them and then maybe exchange some emails and out of those I'm gonna say probably uh, probably s- somewhere between 50 and 70 percent do not go much further than that because we may feel that you know what uh, there's just not the uh the hmm. more solid type of evidence that we're looking for to report um and we may feel personally as investigators that you know maybe it was a misidentification maybe it was uh, a case of paranoia um, Jim, I, I have had uh, I have had countless people send me photographs um, of a track that they found on the ground and said, "Hey, I think we found a uh, photograph <laughs> here of a Bigfoot footprint." Um, yeah, I would say yeah, me too. Uh, half of those you can't really distinguish what is in the photo, and. Uh, the other, uh, most of them typically are a bear, bear track, what I call a double step. And if you've yeah. watched a bear walk, what happens is, is the back foot will come up and step in the tail end of the front foot and it elongates the, uh, the bear track. Right. And, you know, by examining those, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, those don't go much further than that. So this report with Mike and Leah and the photograph um, is probably one of the more rare ones where we have a photograph involved that uh, that we actually, you know, feel uh, feel positive and, and, and good about. And that is certainly the case here. Yeah, I'm sure that doesn't happen very often. 
So, well, I appreciate you sharing that. Now, I've I I know that I want to put up um, in a minute some photos from your trip last weekend to the Apache Reservation in uh, New Mexico. But any last thoughts, Mike or Leah? And I really appreciate you guys coming tonight. Uh, uh, I'm glad to to share my story. Uh, in a way, I'm kind of glad I didn't really uh, see the Bigfoot, only heard it. Because mm -hmm. no telling <laughs> what would have happened. I, but I, they didn't hurt me. They, you know, they could have drug me off. And I'm just thankful that they just zapped me and that was all. Yeah. Sure. In our photograph somewhere, we've got some. And you can see the nose on it, the eyes real clear. And it, it, it was definitely something there. I mean, yeah. you can yeah. make the face out. Yeah, it was, absolutely. It was probably totally black, like all black hair and face, face kind of shine right in here and the rest of it. Right. Hair. It was clear. I got to yep. look for it. I know we got one somewhere. We've moved so many times that I keep losing stuff <laughs> on my computer. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Well, I I'm appreciate you guys coming this evening and uh, feel free to start to stick around upstairs and watch the rest of the show. You don't need to take off. So, okay. but I, thanks good. for coming. Really appreciate care, it. Mark. So Mark, um, uh, let's talk about this uh, trip you just took last weekend. So where was it? You guys went, you, you were with a group of people from the BFRO, right? That, that, that is correct. So, um, we have uh, um, we have some contacts um, with uh, some of the uh, uh, Native American folks in Dulce, New Mexico, on the uh, Hickoria Apache Indian Reservation, and um, we uh, we went down there in September of 2019 and did uh, some re research. Uh, along with them, and uh, it, it was a fantastic uh, experience uh, to be down there. And they were gracious enough to um, ask us to come back and do this again. And so that was last week. So okay. we had a group of uh, we had a group of BFRO investigators, um, and there's a, a photograph that I sent you uh, earlier, Jim. Uh, yeah, that is the standing up in in, in front of the teepee. Um, yeah, we'll show that in a second here. So yeah, the the, the host. Uh, um, so the Hickory Apache Indian Reservation, um, um, Dulce, New Mexico, is the primary town. Um, I think within within the within the reservation, and okay. I'll tell you, it, it's an interesting place to be, Jim, because uh, the word that I'm going to use to describe it is unmolested by um, hmm. heavy recreation. Um, and so if you, if you took, you know, take a look at New Mexico is a state um, land size is about the same size as Colorado, but with a fraction of the amount of people there. Um, and on top of that, um, it is mostly just the Native Americans that are, that are there on the land, um, non-natives, um, pass through on the highway, but uh, it is frowned upon to uh, uh, to leave the blacktop 
uh, unless you've got a, a tribal member as an escort. Okay. And so, it, uh, you know, it's a great honor, um, you know, to be asked, uh, you know, to come back down and and uh, and do some work with these uh, with these great people. The ranch that we were on is uh, is owned by a gentleman that that is approximately 500 acres. And okay. the entire uh, th this this ranch is about, uh, of course, it's within the uh, the reservation boundaries. It's uh, you know it's I don't know if it's in the middle of it, but uh, this is about um, ten to fifteen miles southeast of Dulce. Okay. Um, and to get there, you have to turn off um, a good blacktop highway onto a lesser blacktop. And you travel a few miles on a uh, uh, a lesser quality blacktop, then you you head off onto uh, a non-maintained dirt road, and you make several turns to get back to the ranch. We were there, and and we we did do some investigations um, off of the ranch, um, just on the the rest of the uh, the right. reservation. Um, but in the five days that we were we were down there. Uh, I never saw another car or another person that was not in our group. Because tourists just don't go on this property. Right, right. You know, so you've got lower, you know, you've got a lower population than the than the state of Colorado in New Mexico. Then you've got it on, on the reservation. Um, the Apache Nation is not a, uh, you know, is, uh, I don't know what the, uh, the population of their, uh, their entire tribe is, but the point that I'm making is it does not get recreated like it does in normal areas that we go right. to um, to pursue the Bigfoot phenomena. And so it really, it, it, feels, it feels remote and unmolested when you're there. Okay. Well, talk us through some of these. So this picture, is this part of looking over part of the ranch or? Um, this is actually just a little bit to the east of the ranch. And we took kind of a, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it a Jeep road, but it's not a good, uh, it's not a good road off of the ranch property. And uh, we went up to uh, what is called the tower area. And what you don't see is right behind where this photo is, there is a fire and smoke lookout tower. Okay. Um, and it's way above on a rock outcropping. And so we're, what we're looking at here is just kind of a bird's eye view of down the valley. And it kind of gives you a feel for what some of the uh, topography is. Right. The ranch, the ranch itself if you look at kind of that ridge line that is on the right of that uh, that photograph, um, the ranch is just uh, on the other side of that ridge line. Okay. So the photograph was taken just a little bit east, and okay. it is it is looking due south. So that's some of the topography that's uh, that's there. So let me skip ahead a couple. So this is. Some of the area you guys were investigating in yeah so um so we were there um most of us arrived uh either on wednesday or, or thursday morning and uh we did some investigations on thursday and friday that um just really didn't promote produce anything didn't have uh, any activity 
this particular photo was was taken on Saturday at about noontime. And what a few of us decided to do, we had two we had two investigators with drones and we wanted to go back into this area. And this area is right here is off of the ranch. Um, okay. We had we had permission and of course we had um, you know a Native American escort that was along with us. Uh, they actually uh, drove us back into this area via uh, uh, a short jeep road uh, to get back in. And this but, is kind of a bird's eye view. Right in the yeah, middle of this picture, there's you can there's a truck. It's hard to see. Um, let me see if I can blow this up. Um, yeah so, yeah so so down right about center or center of that photograph if you zoom in um you should be able to see one of our vehicles down yeah. there and um if uh if we can go back to the uh um to the prior photo um not that one that that's the one thank you so on that photo what we did, Jim, is we pulled in in a couple of vehicles to get out and to fly the drones. And just as um, we were exiting the vehicles, um, there were two vocalizations um, that we heard. One, as you're looking at the photograph, was, was at about 11 o'clock. And the second one that came after the first, first uh, vocal was off to the right at probably about 2 o'clock. And it kind of took us by surprise. Nobody was ready for it because we had just stepped out of the vehicles. And so nobody was recording anything at that no, point. Nobody was recording. So we uh, we scrambled quickly um, to get up uh, to get the drones up into the air. And you'll see the gentleman in the green shirt um, in the center. He's looking yep. down. He's his drone fired up. And what we did is we immediately flew the drones up. One drone went to the two o'clock position to where we heard um, in that position, the, the other drone went to the 11 o'clock position um, to cover the area where, where we heard the first vocal. And uh, um, on, we got the drones up. We had a live view of the drones. Unfortunately, we didn't see anything on the, on the drone footage. But uh, I think, as we can all imagine, if there was a helicopter overhead and the urine, yeah. <laughs> it's not that hard to do. You can, yeah, uh, you, can, yeah. you can duck under a tree or, or hide in a crevice of the rock outcropping. But where, where it gets a little more interesting is um, after uh, one of the drones came back, um, the pilot of the first drone that you see in the green sure unfortunately um clipped a tree oh no bringing it back into home and uh the drone is somewhere between where he is standing and the rock outcropping that you see in front of him so it and went so, down so it, it was up in that area somewhere so um one of the things that i did is i took off and i went um straight up into the rock outcropping and i got up on top of the rocks to where i could look down in a bird's eye view to see if we could locate the down the down drone um unfortunately we never did 
we never did find it recovered. Oh, interesting. Yeah, some of some of the Native Americans, you know, if it was hung up in a tree, then uh, unfortunately, one of the drones that we had is a nice glossy white, and it shows up pretty well if it goes down. The drone that we lost was kind of a uh, uh, kind of a desert sand color. And so, you know, if it's hung up in a tree or down somewhere on the ground uh, with the foliage, it's going to blend right in. And, yeah. and this drone, this drone was not a big one. Um, the okay. one that we lost is probably about uh, uh, maybe eight, uh, maybe eight, eight by 12 inches. Hey, a quick question before we go on. Just um, Jeff had asked the rocks that are, if you look at the guy in the green shirt and go up from his head and slightly to the, his left, it looks like stacked rocks. Are those? those or is that those natural? Are those are not stacked rocks. Those are actually part of the rock formation. Okay. And at distance that we are looking at those from here, the uh, the lower left rock formation is probably uh, eight to eight to ten foot in height, and the one um, as I'm looking at the photo to the man's right is a little bit taller and a little bit bigger. Those rock formations are are probably uh, eight twelve foot in diameter, and the taller one is uh, is probably in the twelve to fourteen foot height. Okay, right. Yeah, it's so hard to looking, tell that from here. Yeah, we're looking at it from a distance, but that is right between right between those two rock points is where the first vocalization came okay. from. Up and got out of the vehicles. Now this this is where it got kind of interesting for me, as uh, since uh, I, I was up on that rock outcropping for probably thirty minutes uh, with my binoculars and, and searching everywhere for the drone. I came down off of the rock outcropping, and when I did, um, in those in those trees in front of the the pilot, um, it was thick. We had to do a little bit of scrambling to, to get from my side, but on the other side, you can see it's kind of open. And one of the other investigators was there and walked up to me and said, "I think we found a a tree structure," and um we found uh we found a dead chipmunk so we went hmm. back and there uh, this tree structure if you want to call it that um <clears throat> has some tree limbs probably in the two to three inch diameter that are propped up on some other trees to make a very um slight teepee type okay. uh, structure not real big <clears throat> but this tree tree limb that we're looking at, there was a chipmunk that was freshly killed and it was draped across that tree limb. Now I did not touch I did not touch the chipmunk, um, but I looked at it very closely and the blood on its hair um, was still wet. Um, so it was not dried blood. It was still wow. it was still the eyes had not totally glazed over yet, and so um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to touch it um, just because if you know if this was somebody's meal that they were going to come back and eat, I didn't want to leave my scent on it. And so what we did is uh, is we photographed it, and uh, hmm. 
just made note of it. You know, um, Jim is just kind of an interesting thing. I can't, I can't yeah. say that I've well, you know, walked into the woods and found a freshly killed chipmunk. Great no, frost, great no. Branch. My 61 years of living and uh, to have it fresh and for the blood on the side, you know, on its belly, you can see a little bit of it uh, on its side there that uh, there was still there was still fresh. It hadn't dried yet. So it had just happened. Yeah. So this one is interesting. We're looking, you were below it, looking up into the sky. I was um, below it, looking up into the sky. So one of, one of the things we talked about is um, there was, uh, I think, three of us that were there, is how did the chipmunk, one, how did the chipmunk die? Um, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't discern that. Um, the second question that we we had is how did the chipmunk get placed and basically draped over hmm. uh, this tree limb and if you look overhead um there are tree limbs and foliage over the top so let's say that it was a bird of prey um that flew over and uh and dropped it um you wouldn't have been able to drop it and have it land on that right uh, land on that tree branch uh, that tree branch there was about five foot off of the ground. And so when I took uh, the photo from up above, I was actually holding the camera over my head. Oh, wow. Uh, to, okay. Uh, to, you know, to get that photograph. So I think, I think this was placed up there. Now, could have it been placed by another forest animal such as, um, you know, possibly a raccoon? Or something like that and, and that is certainly a possibility and i am not saying that this was um you know this was was killed and placed there by a sasquatch but just kind of putting a few of the things together what i talked about with the other investigators is that it seems to be deliberately placed there in the way in the manner that it that it was huh. placed um it was very fresh we heard a vocalization that came right from this area where we found this just as we got out of the vehicles. And so, you know, this is just, this is just, um, can, uh, you know, um, talking things through could have, uh, could have a Sasquatch been down there, killed it, laid it up on the tree. Hey, this could be a snack for later. And, uh, we pull up in vehicles, close the doors. Um, they let vocalizations out to let, no, hey, there, you know, there, there's human intruders in the area, and yep. uh, and everybody scattered. Now, it could have been, you know, this this smallish type tree type structure. Um, you know, if it was a tree structure that was placed there, could have been juveniles. Um, you know, making, you know, like like we did when we were kid. You know, making playhouses and forts, and maybe there were some young ones down there. They had killed this this you know, this chipmunk, we showed up, vocalizations happen that say, you know what, there's somebody in the area, um, we got to get out of here. Um, that, that, is, that is strictly, you know, just trying to think scenarios through in our, uh, in our mind. What do you think about this thought that it was a gift for you guys? Well, that's, uh, that is, that could be a possibility. And I'll, uh, I, I will tell you, um, I have run across gifted animals before um, in w w one of my uh, one of one research area that I went to with a friend of mine 
um, up in Canada, we had walked up a trail. Um, and this is an area where this investigator had had um, physical daytime class A sightings along with, uh, with other vocalizations. And as we walked up this trail, we heard a couple of distinct whistles. We were up, uh, we went up into an area, we came back 30 minutes later, and there was a dead snowshoe hare rabbit laid across the trail <laughs> that we had just gone up approximately 30 minutes earlier. And so we definitely um, theorized that that dead rabbit was placed there as a gift mm -hmm. to us. Um, so that uh, I have been in those situations and this chipmunk certainly could have been, could have been a gift left there for us. Um, from the time that we stepped out of the vehicles, we heard the vocals to the time that we found the dead chipmunk was probably an hour. Okay. Um, so if, it, if it was left as a gift, it would have to be a pretty rapid succession right after we got out of the vehicles. But the Could fact be. that the blood wasn't dry, however that chipmunk died, it had just died. It had so, just died. Yeah. And had been killed by something because there was blood on, on its fur on the outside. So um, very fascinating. That's, that's I find this. And again, in Sasquatch research, we're going on circumstantial evidence we can't say for sure nobody saw a sasquatch drape that thing over the tree but you have to say something put this chipmunk here that that we know so the question is um what put it there what could have killed it immediately before you guys showed up and draped it across this branch i mean there there's limited possibilities for what could do that so Again, we're we're just going off of as you were going off of circumstantially, you could say it was a possibility. You can't you can't confirm it because nobody saw it. But um, it's very intriguing. I'll say that it's very intriguing. Yeah. Um, let me just show these these other um, picture. This is a cool one. Um, yeah. So I, one of our one of our Native American hosts. Um, had set up uh, two heapie, two teepees there. Um, that's an 18 foot uh, teepee, and uh, they uh, they had cots, and they uh, they slept inside the teepee, and that is natural campfire firelight from inside the teepee. Interesting. And this, I think, is the the group here. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is our BFRO investigators and. Uh, um, some of our uh, uh, native hosts uh, that is standing there in uh, in front, and uh, that's me in the cowboy hat. Dennis, um, uh, <laughs> right, right off, right off the side. right. Dennis Full is on the extreme left. Um, Correct. Doug Coho, where are you in this picture? I don't see you. Uh, you want to tell us where you are? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Doug was in that. Oh, know. he wasn't in the picture. Okay, so um, that was a good group. Um, anything else you can share with us about uh, um, that time? Yeah. In yeah, yeah. So, uh, so Jim, um, 
the uh, the first few days we had very uh, you know it was it was pretty quiet. You know, there there's the odd sounds that you hear in the in the woods and when you're sleeping at night in your tent. And, sure. And we had. I'll tell you what, you know, talking about this area being unmolested, we heard bull elk bugling every day that we were there. Wow. We heard coyotes going off every day that we were there. And that's just not something that, you know, you're you're always going to hear, especially in heavily recreated areas. But so, the, <laughs> excuse me, um, the drone incident and the chipmunk in, incident happened Saturday about noon. From there, we went on to uh, to Saturday night to our night ops. Um, the last night out, we always do what we call a women's hike, and that is where all of the uh, the, the females in the group um, go out and they do a hike. And basically, our our mode of operandi there is um, we we our women only groups have a tendency to draw in more activity than, yep. than the men. <laughs> we know about that, don't we, Stephanie? <laughs> and so anyway, the women's group on Saturday night went up about uh, probably three to 500 yards uh, behind our base camp. And uh, they got up in that area and they had a, uh, a, a strong vocalization, uh, which was a howl that night. Um, and uh, Dennis Fole's wife, Shannon, uh, was able to record that. I had reached out hmm. uh, to them today to see if they had had time to process the recording and send it and get it up tonight um and uh dennis may be on the road because um that's uh, what he does he drives i did not hear back from him okay um so, so yeah i i just saw the comment up there you know using, <laughs> using women for bait and um you know we laugh about that a lot but um um, we have, uh, we have rarely have ever had any nefarious activity, uh, on any of our, our researches, but you know, here's what happens And Jim and you know, this from your own, yeah. own outing investigations, the male species of whatever group it is, um, are typically larger than the females. They're typically more aggressive. They're typically more short tempered with the exception of female grizzly bears or black bears protecting right. their cup. And so when the women go out on these night hikes, um, it's a women's only group. They're not quiet. They're talking normal. <laughs> I They're can't laughing. imagine that. That's um, amazing. <laughs> they're, you know, they're singing. And what happens is oftentimes we find is that seems to draw activity. Yeah, in. I agree. They are the less threatening, you know, right. as females than you know the higher male. pitch voices and clearly not a group of men you can tell that for sure so correct now at at this night saturday night at the same time that the the women's group were up um uh, up behind camp um another group of us went to what we call or i shouldn't say what we call what they call the five fingers area and the five fingers is a series of ridges that run down this one area and they all kind of funnel into kind of a larger, more meadowish type setting. Okay. And what we did is we chose the first finger and we had three groups of five people each. And we went up. Dennis's group went the farthest up the canyon. 
my group took the middle position and then the lower group um, took the lower position and we hiked up in there. Um, as happens with uh, so many times on investigations, we stepped out of the cars. We said for everybody to check their radios and check their audio <laughs> to make sure it was going. Dennis's group had an audio um, SD card failure. We tried reformatting the card in the field there before we left the car, couldn't get it. Just said, okay, we got to get up into the woods. We went. Uh, first group stopped on the lower portion. My group went on another three to 500 yards up the Finger Canyon. We stopped off, um, sat down with our thermals and our night vision. Dennis's group went farthest up the canyon. They just got up to their position and uh, just a couple hundred feet um, off, to the, off to the west, they had a sound that Dennis described as similar to a cow elk's um, mew or chirp, uh, but he said it was, it was similar to that, but distinctively different. Almost immediately, maybe 50 to 75 feet to the east of their position, there was a huff grunt. <laughs> and um, hmm. it, it was loud enough that, that everybody, except for one, one individual, heard everything. That other individual was fidgeting around, getting ready to get his thermal and his night vision going. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't have any audio of that. But uh, that's <laughs> classic. Very classic. Um, but that pretty much wrapped up, uh, wrapped our, up our investigations for, uh, for Saturday night. Um, not really uh, anything happened after that. Sunday morning, we basically broke camp and said goodbye to our gracious uh, Native American hosts there. And uh, we all headed to our uh, respective homes. Well, I appreciate you telling us that. Um, interesting investigations. You never know what's going to happen. You go with expectation and, and see what happens. But, um, um, yeah, Doug, Doug says his batteries went down quick. You can't explain why this happens. It just happens over and over and over. Whereas when you take the same equipment out any other place, the batteries stay as long as they're supposed to stay. And so, um, so that, that's pretty classic. And I remember years and years ago, uh, I went out on a, on a squatching expedition just at night with Dennis and Mark. We were at Jefferson Lake, um, not too far from Bailey up in South park and had all this equipment all charged up. And you guys had some pretty sophisticated thermal imagers, and we get there and get out of the car, and they're they're dead. And Dennis is like, "I just charged this camera, and it was dead, and we hadn't even used it." And so we got out. And that was very frustrating because obviously you can't you can't record anything while you're out there. And we go on this hike, and we get quite a ways back in the woods, and uh, Dennis and Mark go, "Hey." Let's test out Dave Pilates' theories. Jim, why don't you bend down and tie your shoes, and we'll go on up the trail quite a ways, and we'll see what happens. And at that point in time, I was like, no, we're not going to do that. 
you can stay here and tie your shoes and I'll go on up the trail with somebody else. But I was like, I would probably do it now. But back then there was no way in hell I was going to sit there by myself while you guys went up the trail. So we all had a good laugh about that. But uh, yeah, no, that was a fun memory. I've never forgotten that. And we didn't see anything or hear anything that night that I remember. But, um, and, and people often ask me, what percentage of the time when you take people out or you go out, do you have something occur, whether it's a vocal or eye glow or something? And I said, I, honestly, about a third of the time, believe it or not, um, I can't ever guarantee that because I don't ever set anything up, even though I get accused of that. But it's a combination of where we go and it's a combination of what we're looking for and listening for that I think over the years we've kind of, and I'm sure you guys too, Mark, have perfected this so that when I take people out, I want to give them the best opportunity for something to happen that I can set up and then the chips fall as they may. So um, it's always fun when something happens but it's very common that nothing does. So these are highly intelligent beings and they certainly don't live by our standards or obey us or respond at our command. So yeah, it's just the life of Sasquatch research, right? That, that is so true, Jim, that it's so true. Well, thanks for coming on tonight, Mark. Um, it's been a long time since I've actually seen you. So I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, in a week or week and a half when you come to Conifer. And uh, Mark and I are going to get together and and uh, look at some equipment that he's selling that Sasquatch Outpost might want to buy. So um, thank you, everyone who's been here, and thanks for your comments and your questions. They're always welcome. Uh, I love the interaction we get. And uh, got some great guests coming up. I'm not going to give it away. Um, but thank you, Patricia, and, and everyone else who tuned in tonight. And look forward to having all of you next week. And until then, keep on squatching.